Well, good morning. Welcome to Kesed. My name is Danny, and I'm so excited that you're here. If you're visiting today, thanks for, for giving church a shot. I, I recognize, as do many of us, that church can be a complicated place, and uh, I, I'm really, I, I guess I'm just uh, honored that you would, uh, that you would come and, and check this out. I know for a fact a few people here, this is uh, their very first Sunday in church ever, and so uh, that's a big deal. And so I just want to thank you for, uh, for sitting there. I promise nothing too weird is going to happen. Uh, but I will address real quick this tree that, that is in every church in the nation. This is just how church is for people who are brand new. They all have trees. I don't know if you knew that. Um, they don't. They don't, actually. Uh, in October of last year, uh, while we were planning this year, uh, we felt led for some reason to build a tree for this series. Uh, we knew that talking about the Holy Spirit... Uh, was a difficult thing to do well, and we wanted to, uh, to build something tangible that people could see, that people could touch. And so we, we built this tree out of obedience. We didn't know why. We didn't really know what it represented. Uh, and then we started the series. And uh, last week in the, in the first talk of this particular series, we talked about how when Jesus was baptized, that when he came up out of the water, that the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And that word drove is the Greek word balo, and it actually means to hurl or throw, that Jesus was thrown out into the wilderness, out into the wild places, it says, where the wild animals were and the angels ministered to him. And so we came to realize in that, in that opening talk that the tree for this series represents the wild place, the place that God wants to take us when he wants to have conversations with us that maybe we don't want to have with him. And so today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to have an uncomfortable conversation because uh, some of you from last week or maybe just in your spiritual journey, you know that you're in that wild place right now. You're in a place where God is revealing some stuff to you and dealing with some stuff in you that, uh, that you've been avoiding and that, uh, that, that you have not wanted to, to face. And so I just want to confess to you that, uh, that I am also one of those people. Uh, this particular talk has been uncomfortable for me. Uh, because of some stuff in the wild place that I just don't want to face. And so every service, God has just been chipping away further and further and further. I got to do this three times. So it, it, you just got to do it once. I got I to gotta just keep showing up for the Holy Spirit to chip away at more of my stuff. Um, but, but I'm also recognizing that, that it's a beautiful thing to, to get to be a part of. And so today, um, what I want to do is, is, is offer what I think is going to happen next in the wild place. And that is, uh, that is a conversation between you and the Holy Spirit around what it is that you brought with you. Uh, I think often we think we get to the wild place or get to these seasons with God where we're stripped of everything and God's like, now I want to talk to you. But in reality, God doesn't strip us very often. I think he drives us to places to have conversations, but he's, he is thoughtful about just ripping things out of our lives. He would much rather... And I think the biblical context teaches this, much rather us surrender those things, us release those things. And so I believe it's quite true that I'll say this on the screen, nobody goes to the spiritual wild place without their stuff, without their excuses, their insecurities, their failures, their pride, their uh, accomplishments, their self-righteousness, without all the stuff that, uh, that, they, that they've built up over time that's helped them have the worldview that they have. And so for instance, we talk a lot about church hurt here. Uh, we talk a lot about that because, for one thing, I think churches have hurt a lot of people. And for two, uh, I think they're really good foundational excuses for us not to get involved in another church. So why let them die? 
Let's keep talking about how we were hurt by the last church or maybe even this church. That, therefore, we can show up, participate, but only so far. Now, I have as much church hurt as anybody I've ever met. I uh, have been speared through by the local church. And yet, God has called me into a local church. And so, these are some of the excuses that I brought up to him with, with, uh, around my own spiritual development, around my own uh, system of understanding myself inside the church world. And this series, God has started to ask for those back. He started to ask for me to release those things, to release those insecurities, to release my good reasons for not partnering with him in what he wants to do inside the community. He's asked for my stuff and I'm super frustrated about it because I like my stuff. Like, like I'm in the wild place, but I have a huge tent and a generator and it's very comfortable. And I'm like, look at me, Lord, out here just under the stars through a tent and my AC filled, you know, room and the generator that I brought. Look at me, Lord, not really starving because I brought a camper worth of food, but I'm where you want me, right? And God's like, sort of. Do you mind coming out from that stuff, Danny? Do you mind releasing that stuff? You can see God doing this all the time in his scripture, but you can especially see it before Jesus's arrival in the Old Testament. See, in the Old Testament, God would lead uh, the people that he chose uh, with his spirit through prophets and judges. Prophets and judges were people that scripture said the spirit would come upon. It would come upon them and then they would have insight in order to give to the nation that God was developing around the stuff that they were holding on to. They needed to let go in order to draw closer to God. And so that's what we're going to look at right now. We're going to look at a very specific moment in time when a group of people just like us, wanted their stuff to matter more than their trust in God. Because although we are all, I think, being called to the wild place, how we experience the wild place has a lot to do with how well we let go of our stuff. Uh, this word anointing, anytime you hear this word anointing in the Old Testament, this word anointing is the key word whenever you're reading about the Holy Spirit. Because it's what shows you that God is working towards his advantage and so of course our advantage because anything that uh, that is whole bringing in our life draws us back to of course God who is the sufficient one who is the one who is the completer of our story here's a couple examples of when God's spirit would move on people uh, judges 6 34 but the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet Ezekiel 11, then the spirit of the Lord fell upon me and he said to me, say, thus says the Lord. Judges 14, 6, the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson with power. Over and over and over again, God is using these people to tell other people about how to get rid of the stuff in their life that's keeping them from intimacy with him. Now at this time in the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, despite the spirit moving among them like this, the people of God wanted to be like the other nations in their worlds. They wanna showcase the glory and wonder of who they've become because of God's blessings, but they wanna showcase this glory and wonder against the other nations. And so to do this like them, they want some stuff in the form of a king. They're, they're tired of prophets and judges. It's not very tangible. They want something that they can touch, something that they can hold, something that they can compare. And God says to them, you do not want this. You do not want a king because kings will do what kings do. They will demand of you service. They will demand of you loyalty. They will demand of you uh, 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 
providing for them and any needs that they have. But the people are like, no, no, that's what we want. First Samuel 8, 5 is where we're going to pick up. The people are speaking, and they're speaking to the prophet Samuel. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And so Samuel prayed to the Lord to figure out what God wanted to do. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. Listen to this line carefully, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. God knows that the people want their stuff. And he knows that what, they've, what they want is what they've lost with him. And that's wonderment. Wonderment is a feeling of surprise, awe, and joy. And it's a spiritual posture that you can have if you're looking for it. It could be in the, the, uh, the sound of beautiful music. It could be in the eyes of a child. It could be in the, in the, the care of a, of a friend. It could be in the generosity of a stranger. But I believe that whether it's in any of those things, when we can see these things for what they are, wondrous gifts of God, we better know him and so better seek his presence for praise. When we can see the wonders of the gift of God in the way the spirit provides for us, then we get lost in wonderment. But when we're no longer looking for the spirit, then we have to go find that wonderment in somebody else. And in this case, it's a throne with a human being on it. These people have lost the eyes to see the wonder of the spirit. And so he brings to them a man who was everything they imagined a king should be. And he does so even though he knows that it is not the best for them. First Samuel chapter nine, verse one. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. This is a tall guy's verse for those of you in the room. You're like, that's right, that's right. This is my kind of sermon. Don't worry, short guys, our time is coming. Now, why aren't we talking about Saul's character? Why aren't we talking about uh, Saul's genius for leadership? Why aren't we talking about uh, Saul's compassion for the people that, that needed him? Why are we talking about how tall he was, how handsome he was, and, and how he was perceived? And of course, the reason is because Saul was wondrous. He was wondrous to look at. He was, he was actually a lesser blessing from God but it was through his own compassion on the people that God gave them exactly what was in their mind's eye, which was wonderment they could touch, that they could see, and that they could feel. It was really wonderment that they could measure. So here's a wild place question. We're gonna do these throughout the series. What in my life, you ask it for you, what in your life right now is a lesser gift from our heavenly father despite my self-seeking ways? What in my life right now am I propping up on a throne and saying, this is why I know God loves me. And God's like, yeah, yeah, but it's not what it could be. What in your life right now? Is it your intellect? Is it your, your finances? Is it, is it something in your story that, that you've said, like, this is how I know God loves me because of the wonder, the wonder of this thing right here. When in reality, it's a lesser blessing that God is trying to ask you for in order to remove that thing that you put on the throne so that he can sit on the throne as it's supposed to be. Listen to Saul's anointing. 
Just for those uh, who, have, who might know this story, I think oftentimes we think that the Lord wasn't with Saul, that the Lord didn't bless Saul, that the Lord didn't move upon Saul like he did upon all the other great heroes of the story. And it's just simply not true. And you can see it right here. This is when he has a conversation with Samuel. Samuel's telling him, God's gonna anoint you king. God's gonna move in you and you're gonna be different than you were before. And he's like, okay. And so his tall, beautiful self goes to leave. And then it says, when he saw turned his back to leave, Samuel, Samuel, God gave him another heart. Isn't that profound? God gave Saul another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day when they came to Gibeah. Behold, a group of prophets met him and the spirit of God rushed upon him. There it is. And he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, what has come over the son of Kish? What they're saying is what wonderment has been brought into our midst. This tall, beautiful prophet of a man. <laughs> He's our king. And so the people of God were ruled. And by ruled, I mean claimed by another. For in one very real sense, that day they became Saul's people instead of God's people. I believe this is because Saul could see in their eyes that he was their treasure. And so they belonged to him. And so he held them as such, a treasure to be hoarded in his hands and used however he wanted for his own design. And the reason that happened is because throughout Saul's life, although God drove him to the wild place, although the spirit showed up to commune and connect with him, Saul wasn't honest about what he brought with him. And so he built a kingdom out there. And people came and rushed to see it. And then he used those people, like all of us use the stuff in our lives for his own security until eventually the people found themselves ruled by a disobedient, arrogant tyrant. But the spirit of God never leaves us without options when we worship our stuff. He just keeps showing up and sometimes he shows up in completely different angles, which is why some of you are so surprised to be in a church service again right now. Because you're like, I believe in the Lord. I just don't believe in his church. And yet you're impacted right now in his church because you're supposed to be part of his church because like it's his idea. But just for what it's worth, by the way, it's people that hurt you, not the church. Just for what it's worth. It's people because, because people... Uh, under the, the wrong circumstance with the wrong, um, let's see how personal we want to get here. We'll feel this room out. Hmm. People set up in any kind of system outside of God's system will eventually make that system about themselves, period. No matter how humble, no matter how anointed, no matter how gifted, no matter how called. That's why the only system that works is God's system which means we constantly come before him and hand him over the things within our hands. Saul refused to do that. And so the people found themselves bound by the thing they held on to. And so the spirit of God looked to and fro like it always does. And it didn't say no more kings for you. Told you guys the system was broken. He said, okay, this is the system we've set up. This is the system we're gonna use. I'm just gonna give them a whole different kind of king. For Samuel 16, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him because Eliab was another tall, handsome young man. He looked very kingly. But then the Lord said one of the most powerful verses in all the Bible. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. 
because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart and loves to you short guys for his glory. That part's not in there. That's, that was extra Bible right there. That's not. <laughs> All the short guys in the room are like, I am joining. I'm becoming a member today. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, well, there remains the youngest one, but like he's out with the sheep. I didn't even think to invite him to such an important meeting. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. But notice we have no mention of how tall he was. <laughs> and he sent and brought him in. And then the Lord said to Samuel, arise, anoint him for this is he. And then Samuel said internally, really? This kid that smells like sheep is the new king? Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. David was a throwaway son. He was of little value from a societal viewpoint. He brought absolutely nothing to the table. He was empty-handed in every single way. He was perfect for God to use because he had nothing. He was nobody. He was us. He was you. He was me. He had mistakes. He had failures. He had an everyday job, not even a very important one. He went to work. He had his responsibility. He fought with his brothers. He disrespected his dad. He's probably rude to his mom once. And yet for some reason, God saw something in this young man's life that he knew would be just right for what the people needed. He was claimed by God and the spirit filled him. And as it rushed upon him, look at the next verse. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and this left Saul feeling tormented. God left the one who rejected him and instead would place on the throne someone that displayed his own virtuous wonderment instead of their own, teaching the people of God whose they really were. Not belonging to some king on a throne, but the children of a loving father who wanted to gently guide them back to himself. I believe that David was just right for this job because of what happens next in the story. David was also a musician and quite a well-known one. It says that Saul was tormented because he could feel the spirit of God not working upon his life in the same way. And so he asked for somebody to come play music in order to soothe his mind. And somebody actually said, I know this guy named David. It's crazy. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. Notice that David didn't have the spirit of the Lord rush upon him and then suddenly walk around ordering his brothers around like all of us would have done. You did hear, did you not, siblings, that I am king of the nation. I deem myself exclusion. No more chores. No more dishes for me. I shall walk around and rule thee as I practice to rule the, the, the land that we all see. 
Instead, it says he apparently went right back to ruling his sheep because the kind of person he was, he knew he had responsibilities. He also knew God would make known what's next at just the right time. This is an incredible sign of how empty-handed David was. You'll know you're in the right place in your walk with the Spirit when you can say beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are not the source of the wondrous things happening around you and that God is. You'll know it. You'll know it because there's no way it can be you. We built a paper tree without knowing why. And then in the series, in the talk, 48 hours before we preached it, it was super clear. God's like, that represents the wild place. And then we were like, maybe we'll keep the tree all year long for each series. It'll just be different per series. We have no idea why. We don't even know what it's gonna look like or what it's gonna represent, but we're gonna keep it throughout the year because God does. Maybe this is really what it feels like to walk with him. It's to every day seek what it is he wants to do with that particular day. Maybe every day is a day to seek the wonderment before us of the Holy Spirit's presence. This is a critical, critical posture to work toward because herein lies the problem of seeking your own agenda and propping up your own throne of your own wondrous plans. No matter how hard you try, you will never find yourself the ultimate wonder. Never. Somewhere, someone exists who is more talented, more beautiful, more anointed, stronger, smarter, even sexier, more successful, more wealthier, more powerful. You are not the greatest wonder in your life. And that's the problem when you serve a throne of your own making. For example, about this time, the Israelites begin to hear about another wonder of the world. The problem was this wonder wasn't theirs. Even worse, this wonder belonged to their enemy nation of the Philistines. Let's listen to the description. 1 Samuel 17, And there came out from the camp of the Philistine a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bear went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, for they were at war, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And listen to who he describes them as. And are you not servants of Saul? He recognizes who they put their faith in. It's not some God. They're famous for putting their faith in Saul, a man who was head and shoulders above everyone they had ever met. He then says, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Now, because we don't deal a lot in cubits and shekels, let me just give you these facts in our terms and time. Goliath would have been around nine feet, six inches tall. His armor was 125 pounds. A spear that he carried was eight feet, eight inches long and had a 15 pound tip. This meant that Goliath, once he arrived, was even more wondrous than Saul. Basically, Saul was a sight to behold until he wasn't. See, the thrones you set up on the wild place, the idea is 
You are to, to, to be honest about what you've brought with you. I'm to be honest about my reasoning, my excuses, my, my, my accomplishments. And I am to recognize that, that if that's what I measure my value by, then eventually when someone else has more excuses, more accomplishments, then I, my value should decrease if, if that's what determines our value. But if God is what sits on the throne, then there is nothing that will ever show up. That will change the way that I see myself. For when I see myself how God sees me, then I become filled with confidence because I then know who I am. And I never have to be afraid of when something in this world shows up and tries to pour its glory over his, for that can never happen. Goliath's very presence broke apart the fickle foundation of an entire nation. And everybody who saw him. But there's one person who hadn't seen him yet. David. Short David. Back with the sheep. Now David's brothers, because they're valiant men of incredible height and power, they were called to war. They were on the sidelines along with tall Saul to experience Goliath as he taunted them day in and day out, day in and day out. And the war just dragged on and the morale just began to crash because that's what happens when you rely on your own creation. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And you begin to realize more and more and more that the coping mechanisms you've been using time and time again don't work, work, work. But Jesse's an old man and he knows his sons are, are getting hungry. And so he decides to send David on an errand. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. So if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. So David is on a cheese errand, which makes him a cheese boy. And when David arrives to deliver his cheese, as he's on his way to find his brothers, Goliath comes out and David listens to his taunt. David responds immediately by saying that they should not be afraid to face the giant for they have the living God on their side. Because David was holding on to the wonderment of God, he could probably see what stood before them. This is because a life filled with the Holy Spirit's wonderment sees obstacles differently than others do. David's throne was properly placed with God sitting upon it. When the spirit of God is at work, there's both often, there's both an empowering and an unmasking that happen both at the same time. Pastor Chris Potter told me while we were studying. And so I quoted him. (laughs) God tears away what we see and what our eyes are focused upon. And it also reveals what he sees. And in this case, David knows that God is not about that giant. He's not about Saul. He's not about the fear in camp. He is about the glory that he's going to bestow upon David and his people when they just step out and trust him. Saul hears this because David apparently had a loud mouth as he's passing out cheese bites to everybody. He's like, you should go kill that giant. You should go kill that giant. Do you want cheddar or pepper jack? You should go kill that giant. Saul hears this. So he calls David in and he knows the spirit of the Lord's with David because he's heard his music. And he's like, David, is God telling you to do something about this? And David's like, yeah, I think I might be the one. I, I think I'm supposed to go out there and square up with this giant. And Saul's like, all right, let's do it. So then Saul, because he has worldly eyes, is like, well, you can't go out in just a tunic with some cheese. Um, here's my armor. And David puts on the armor and he's like, 
his eyes allow him to see, Saul, this, this isn't how I'm supposed to do this. Can you imagine David peeling off the armor of the king? I mean, how, how much perspective do you have to have? God called you to do a task and then the armor of the king gets put on you. I mean, think how gorgeous you would look as you walked up there to do this beautiful thing for God, shining in gold from head to toe. There were so many opportunities for David to make this about himself, but he's like, no, I'm here to do two things. Kill that giant and deliver Pepper Jack. Those are the only two things God has asked me to do. So so he gets rid of the armor and this is eventually what happens. David steps out, the Philistine sees him. Verse 44, chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. The Philistine said to David, come to me. And I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then David decides to mock him back because sometimes that's the Christian thing to do. (laughs) Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. That's basically like a your mom joke back then. I mean, that's as rude as it gets. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and all that this assembly may know that the Lord saves with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. I know it. David popped some cheese in his mouth. When the Philistine heard this, he got angry and he arose and came and drew near to meet David. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. But did you know that Goliath didn't die right then? I'm not going to read this next verse because it's too gory. But it says that David ran up took out Goliath's sword, which probably would have been incredibly heavy because he was a fairly large man. And then that David cut his head off. But it'd be hard to cut somebody's head off with a sword too big for you. So I would think he probably had to hack at it a little bit. That's just what I'm, that's what I'm envisioning. He would have been like, in the name of the Lord of hosts. (laughs) So you never really thought about it before, have you? But he's a short guy with a big sword. So it just would have been, everybody would have been like, just kill him already. This is so gruesome. If you want to tie that into your own life right now, some of you, some of you, you are, you are hacking off things within your story and, and it's not going to come with one easy, clean blow. You're going to have to saw at it for a while and it's going to be gory and it's going to be messy, but don't stop till you fulfill what God has called you to do, which is behead that thing, that torment, that curse as you may think it is that part of your story that you don't think you'll ever overcome, keep sawing till it's done. This is what David does. And so the cheese boy becomes a giant slayer. You see, the Holy Spirit is in search of the empty-handed. He's in search of those who are willing to allow his guidance, his will, his purpose He's not in search of kings and queens who can hold nothing but their own glory-seeking crowns. Instead, he is in search of cheese boys and cheese girls just like us that he can fill with his wonder. 
For to these anointed ones, the Spirit's presence is enough and no task or responsibility is too insignificant. He is saying to them, you belong, you are not a mistake, you are not beyond my gaze and love. And in this place that we find ourselves, this wild place, the Spirit is offering to exchange our wounds for his wonder and so speak both knownness and belonging over you. The Holy Spirit is waiting for us to say back to him with empty hands what he's been saying to us since our very creation, you are mine. This is what it means to commune with the spirit of God. It means being honest about what you've throned and it's being honest about the fact that that God is asking you to dethrone that thing in exchange for his presence and his will. I love this quote from Paul Pastor. As we grow in our ability to receive the Spirit's life, he infuses ours from both within and beyond us, leading us to the Father and the Son, painting our whole world with joy, color, and the love we were made for. But please be aware, and I say this in order to draw you into the most uncomfortable place you can be, for I think it might be the most honest place you've been in a long time. You cannot hold what the Spirit offers in communion and the things of this world at the same time. That is the difference between the road that Saul walked and David walked. We have to set down these things that we have found our value in, our purpose in, even our woundings have to be set down in order for us to fully embrace the body of Christ that hung on that cross and the blood that was shed. You know, we're gonna take communion here in a second. And I think a lot of times we approach communion with this posture of I'm going to be filled up. I'm going to pick something up. The, the power of salvation and the, 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 the knowledge of what it is that God wants to impart to me. But have you ever considered that maybe communion is actually a time for emptying? Maybe it's actually a time to set down all of your excuses in exchange for the wounds of Christ that are the the greatest single wonder of this world. The forgiveness, the hope, the restoration, the restart, the, the repentance, all of those gifts, they all are being offered at the communion table as we break the bread and drink the wine. They're all being offered, but we cannot receive them unless we come with empty hands. And so what we're gonna do in just a moment is create a space for that to happen, for emptying to happen. So I'm gonna have uh, the team come out. I've given them a song to sing over you. And we're just gonna create a space for emptying. For some of you, this will mean that you need to, to open your hands and set them on your lap. For others, it could be about closing your eyes or looking up to heaven. It doesn't really matter. It's all about you finding a posture where you can recognize before you come to the table and commune with God that what you bring with you is just you. Not your talent, not your your gifts, not your anointings, not all the beautiful things that you've enthroned around you so that you can be comfortable in God's presence, but the uncomfortable nakedness of being a human that God had to die for. This is such a powerful reality. The only thing that I bring to the story of the cross was the sin I've had that put him there. That's all I bring. Everything else is a gift from him and he's offering it to you, but you've got to let go of the things you're worshiping. You've got to let go of the things that you're holding up as offering. 
for he is the only sacrifice you'll ever need to feel the wholeness and the comfort and the presence of the one who wants to know you like you've never even known yourself. This is such an important principle that starting from this day forward, uh, over in this corner, Kessid will have a communion station at the end of every service. Every service we have from here on out till God shuts us down or more likely we give this whole thing away like it was given to us. Every service we're gonna have communion so that somebody, if they want, can respond. We'll still do it corporately once a month, but sometimes I think we, we have different responsibilities with the spirit. And so it's something we feel that we need to do. So that's something that, that will occur from now on. I believe that God has something really special for your life and something really special for my life. And this place and all the other beautiful churches all over this city and this world, and he is moving within them. But it's our job to let go of the things that we're holding on to so that we can fully grasp the thing he's offering. So would you bow your head, close your eyes. If you want, open your hands or look to heaven. Say, Heavenly Father, whew, the things that I'm holding up to you right now, I don't even know how to let go. They have propped me up emotionally, spiritually for so long. I, I feel like they've just become part of who I am. Lord, I don't wanna be who I want to be. I don't wanna just be who I am. I wanna be who you want me to be. I wanna, I wanna be comfortable in your presence, whether that means I'm delivering cheese or killing giants. I wanna do both, God, with just incredible um, humility given, blessed to me because of the sacrifice of you. Lord, I pray that in this place right now, there would just be a great emptying. That we would not be in our wild place comfortable. We would be uncomfortable. That we would have some uncomfortable conversations this week. That, that we would stop making excuses why we don't step out from the lines and the ranks onto the field of battle that you've called us to. To be the moms, the wives, the husbands, the fathers, the employees, the bosses, the the fellow members of community. Lord, may we be your hands and feet. May we recognize that it is only by the emptying of what's in our hands that we get to do that. So we just sit in this time of emptying now. May you take it all. In Jesus' name, amen.